0: Welcome back to Digital Health 101. Today, we will look at another confusing term, digital therapeutics. Now, many of us don't think of apps and wearables as actual therapy, and yet the FDA and other governmental agencies do. In fact, strong scientific evidence suggests that digital interfaces can be used for more than just entertainment. They can be used to deliver exceptional care and measurably improve patient health in a number of chronic and acute conditions. Now, to explain digital therapeutics, we asked none other than Eugene Burakowicz, who hosts the Digital Therapeutics podcast right here on Digital Health Today, to explain it to us. Welcome, Eugene Burkovich. I am so excited. I really am excited. I'm actually honored to have you on my podcast because I'm such a big fan of the work you've been doing and watching your stratospheric rise in the world of digital health in the last five to seven years and eventually became friends. So I'm excited to have you on this podcast, Digital Health 101.
1: Yes, I wish we could be recording this live, you know, somewhere in a, in a booth and have a drink afterwards, but that day will come. And so honored to actually be invited as well. I've been following your DocSF North work for many years. Pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. So for our audience, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? I always find that people do a better job than I do if it comes to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll do like a 30-second startup style. I sort of self-describe myself as a serial intra and entrepreneur. So that means I go sort of from my own or a startup, small company to a large behemoth and corporate. My career has spanned you know, pharmacy benefit management, Startup and doctorating space back in the day, consulting, sold the consulting company to a larger, where I headed up a healthcare vertical, and then pharma for a number of years, where, as I joke around, always lost most of my hair. And then, you know, recovering back from a, being a pharma executive into the startup land at Your Coach Health, joined my lovely wife on the journey of building that company now about a little over a year ago. And we'll come back to Your Coach
0: Health. That's a really interesting application, what we're talking about today, which is digital therapeutics. Now, just to, for our audience as well, Eugene also has a terrific podcast on the Digital Health Network called Digital Therapeutics, which aptly named. You're an expert in the space. You've had a number of... A Really amazing guests on your show. I've listened to a couple of the episodes, really remarkable people who have had a tremendous story. A lot of the stories come from personal need or a personal story, something that need to be addressed. And the way they addressed it is by using this new technology. Can you define to us what digital therapeutics has come to mean over the last few years?
1: Yeah, so maybe, uh, first of all, I appreciate you saying an expert. I think part of me doing the DTX podcast, and it is DTXpodcast.com, Dan Kendall made it very easy, was the fact that I'm not an expert, right? I've been more fascinated about what digital therapeutics can bring from an access perspective. And when I was in Big Pharma at Bayer at the time, we were the first life sciences company to join Digital Therapeutics Alliance. And this is going to go into the definition as Megan Coder and Jessica Shull talk about it, right? They are driving the digital therapeutics alliance. That definition, while evolving, I think we got into a relative consensus and we can talk about how changed over time, et cetera. But you know, literally straight from the digital therapeutics website and definition, a DTX delivers medical interventions directly to patients, which is the important component here that is evidence-based, clinically evaluated to do the above, treat, manage, and even prevent different diseases and disorders. This is literally from their Digital Therapeutics Alliance who's been done, who's done an amazing job. Um, I think they launched sometime in 2017, if my memory serves me correctly, and they've been doing a great job pulling some of the players together, including, you know, between Washington, D.C., Brussels, and many other locations where this is uh, coming
0: to light. That brings up a couple of concepts. First, I want to just remind people, DTX, Digital Therapeutics is TX.com. Yeah. Digital Therapeutics Alliance has arisen out of a need to create some connectivity between the companies delivering these products, the people consuming them, and the um, the world of payments, because a lot of this work had to find a home within the economics of healthcare, right? And let's just go there real quick. First of all, actually, before we go there, where does digital therapeutics come from? How did it start out? I think it it has its roots in the internet, but just give us a little bit of a perspective how it grew into a business model.
1: Yeah, so you know, my first comment is I think the business models are still being explored, right? We're we're not not quite there and we can sort of break that down a bit. But, you know, I think some of the terms uh, and as I've been joking around doing kind of being trying to be a historian with the podcast a bit, the term showed up around 2012. As Brian Dolan actually mentioned, that you can find some earlier terms in somewhere in the radiology business, even earlier than that. But it showed up in 2012. And there's a number of, you know, uh, there's a company that tried to trademark it. Also, the usage patterns of it went to uh, Sean Duffy at Omada. I think he was one of the first. Click Therapeutics is another digital therapeutic company that I think tried to actually trademark the term. So that was born in 2012. And again, the premise of it was to use digital technologies to treat, manage, or prevent a disease or a disorder, right? So that was kind of, you know, if you look at it as doctors prescribe uh, different therapies, molecular therapies in the pharma case, this is a digital therapy that can be prescribed. And we can talk more about what prescribing it, does it need to go through a an official prescription channel or others? And this touches on the business models.
0: Let's give our audience a couple of examples so they can start framing this concept of digital mm-hmm. therapeutics. Maybe start with something simple, one of the earliest. And then you touched yep. on Amada. You just recently interviewed Paratherapeutics, very interesting as well. So
1: Yeah. So I'll start actually. I think it's probably the way I explain. It. And, you know, I, part of the podcast series is also demystifying exactly what your question is. You know, what is, what the heck is digital right. therapeutic? Right. And to me, the clearest example, and this irrespective of the model, the go to market model is, is something like an Achilles. Achille Interactive is literally a game that got an FDA approval that can treat ADHD. And they have a pipeline of other, I'll say, neurological diseases uh, that they're pursuing as far as treatments to that. But again, in this case, it's clearly, so instead of taking a drug, you are literally playing a game. All right. So that's probably the cleanest, most simple way to describe what a digital therapeutic is.
0: Let's mm-hmm. presume that I am clueless what Kili is. So I now have an iPhone, my iPhone or my iPad, I presume, and I download an app. Then yep. I interface with that app and it's a game. What's it? What am I playing? What kind of a game am I playing? What am I doing? What's happening?
1: Yeah. So let's use Kili Interactive as the example. You know, Eddie Martucci, who is the CEO, had a vision early on that playing an actual game as we talked about, can treat ADHD. So as he described, I actually had uh, one of the most popular episodes is with Eddie on the DTX podcast. As he basically describes is you are playing a game and as the process of it, that if you are diagnosed, you do need a prescription. They do have Achille care as part of their service on top of the game, right? And as someone who does have ADHD, you're literally playing a game.
0: And ADHD, a little disconnected, you can't concentrate on things for very long. This you or engages you in such a way that it continues to keep your attention for a longer period of time and trains your brain to to maintain attention on a given task, which in this case happens to be a game.
1: Yeah, um, a video game. Exactly. Uh, I think Eddie and team has been at it for, I want to say, eight years, if I'm not mistaken or so. So there's a lot of clinical research. They just had some more positive results from uh, additional clinical trials. And they've been FDA approved and they've even priced it. So again, the choice as a parent in many cases you have to make is do you put your kid on molecular therapy or do you try this particular therapy, which is in this case, again,
0: and what other areas of healthcare have digital therapeutics branched out into and successfully?
1: Yeah, so we can go through, you know, I think a lot of it started in um, diabetes space and there, a company like uh, WellDoc, who I also had the pleasure of interviewing Anand, there is a technological intervention that basically is monitoring your insulin levels, right? And informing you. So software is, is now informing you of your status. So that's, you know, in diabetes care, the other one, and this is interesting, right? Because Welldoc as well as Akili are prescription, right? And if we look at something like Big Health, uh, Peter Hames started the company somewhere around also early 2011 or 12 in London, he was challenged to figure out his own sleep patterns, right? So sleep is another area that has been tackled. And what we see now that a lot of these digital therapeutics are all around behavior modifications and changes and mental health related as well. So we're starting to see with patients, for example, diagnosed with cancer, different types of cancers. Can a digital therapeutic help you from a behavior perspective, mental health perspective around it? So no digital therapeutic will remove the cancer, obviously. Right. But I'll, I'll back up maybe just a clear example. Let's use Big Health. Big Health has digitized what a cognitive behavioral therapy therapy would do. You know, if you're struggling with sleep, Peter himself poured through lots of literature and there were proven clinical interventions with cognitive behavioral therapies. And that includes education, it includes things like meditating and many other aspects of it. And so that particular app and platforms, uh, the time the Sleepio was the name, Mm -hmm. takes you through this cognitive behavioral therapy and helping you improve your sleep that way. And he had a partner, Dr. Colin Espy, who Mm -hmm. studied that. That and actually, I think created quite a lot of the science behind
0: it. It's a great example you bring because these digital therapeutics aren't just video games, there are video games based on. Clinical science. That's why the FDA approved them for utilization. And others have taken, doesn't always have the interface, does not always a video game. It can be a chatbot, a conversational interface, right, between you and the app. And then based on your answers, it will create an output, which is usually driven by an algorithm, which can be tweaked to your own personal wellness. Like, for example, with diabetes apps, right, that you also not just videotaping, but it's also collecting real data, hard data, your blood sugar levels, your blood pressure for chronic disease management puts that together and says, well, do you really have to send this data back to your doctor to get a feedback? No, it's algorithmic. And in many ways, it seems to be allowing the patient who has a computer to collect data from the world around them and feedback the answer without requiring the right to access the healthcare system, which sometimes is difficult. I think you mentioned earlier this issue of access and how digital therapeutics may democratize access to care. Should we talk that a little bit? Sure. We had a little bit of a
1: debate on uh, one of the, not a debate, uh, the challenge with all of this is, and this is great that your podcast is also sort of educating many individuals around it part of that discussion is, why do we need to explain digital therapeutic, right? Because the challenge that I, as a health consumer or health citizen, is I have a challenge with sleep. And there's a number of therapies or number of approaches that can be taken. One of them just happens to be digital, right? So how much do we really need to start explaining? At the same time, as we're talking about this, if you think about a sleep therapist or a sleep specialist, Getting access to that sleep specialist, getting that reimbursed, it's a long pathway. So the promise of the digital therapeutics is also affordability and digital access to much larger population that all you may need is a smartphone. I think we are still challenged on the approaches to market and how they're being priced and how do we really make it accessible for everyone, but at least no longer that a small number of sleep specialists in a particular country is the limitation, as an example, right? Exactly.
0: Brings me to this next question you should brought up at the very beginning around policy and some of the work Digital Therapeutic Alliance is doing. But let's talk about the example of Germany. I think they were the first as a country to actually enable the prescription and payment for digital therapeutics as an option. Where does that stand as you see it from your point of view? You were quite involved with that when you were a bear as well. How is that trending? Are payers, whether the governments or insurers, starting to see the value of these treatment modalities? Do you think we'll see those accessible for reimbursement in the near future?
1: Before we go to Germany, I just want to say that the FDA, and again, big kudos, so let's stay straight into US, right? They've been, I think, paratherapeutic, somers, got FDA approval, Achilles, the game for DHD. And there's many examples of of that mm-hmm. right so that's one thing and also during in 2020 I forget the actual date but earlier when the pandemic hit there was an emergency use authorization for many I'll say behavior and mental health related digital therapies to go straight to market right because as you can imagine we as a society, we're sort of going to see another pandemic coming in our mental health space, right? I just wanted to touch on that really for the point. great work that the yeah. FDA has been doing. You know, jumping over to Germany, indeed, Germany has seemed to be led the way, uh, though UK also with NICE has had some you know pretty good activity. I think Germany with releasing their Digital Healthcare Act in December of 2019, so it hasn't been that long. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in German, but basically it's DVG digitale nice. Versorgung Gazettes. That's my attempt of it. Um, <laughs> so they released, you know, they passed that into, into law, and what that allowed is DIGAS. So those are the actual approved software or approved therapies by the B-Farm, which is an entity that's approving them. As long as they're approved, that's what the that Act specify, then it can get reimbursed by statutory insurance in Germany. There are now about, I think a little, last count was 11 approved therapies. And for example, one of them is uh, Self-Appy. And that's a a company basically uh, in the psychological online therapy space. Just to give you guys, you know, your listeners a quick
0: example. We've danced around this whole issue of therapeutics. Now let's talk a little bit about the breadth of applications that we've seen out there. You've mentioned... Psychological psychiatric illness that would be depression. I've seen apps on schizophrenia, which is remarkable to me that that can even be treated through an app. We've talked about Armada, which is diabetes. There's a Pear, which is taken on substance abuse, bipolar disorder, chronic pain, PTSD, anxiety, even insomnia. But it's interesting how quickly it's breeding. I am actually uh, asked frequently to give online opinions about uh, treatment modalities for hip and knee arthritis, which I treat. And that's and it's also a form of digital therapeutics. It's a second opinion for somebody who may be living uh, somewhere where they don't have access to second opinions. Is there really a limit to where we can go with digital therapeutics? And that's one question. The other question, we'll come back to after, I'll ask that one first, is where has it been shown to be most effective? Where have you seen the biggest uptake with digital therapeutics? I should start with that
1: one. Yeah, let, let's face it, right? And this is my my sort of two cents that I've been discovering it. If we want to look at, and this is where I I don't necessarily disagree with the DTA, but my point a little bit is that I, as a standalone therapy, to me, the best examples are what we talked about, like an Achille, right? Mm-hmm. And that is where it's directly, just like a molecule would biologically impact your body, right? By playing a game, it's literally biologically impacting your brain to rewire itself. Again, mm. not, in a non-scientific words, right? That's a clear use case. The second part of this, and I'm breaking this out in three, right? What DTXs are. The second one is sort of a drug drug and a companion pair where, again, a good example of it is WellDoc with Blue Star and insulin, right? So there's an insulin as the drug, and then the software is basically intervening to help you as the patient and a consumer. So that's the drug pair. And then the third one is what I've sort of started calling this as a disease management 2.0, which my two cents on it, that's not really a DTX, that's just novel services, health services that are tackling... a a market need just based on where we are as a society. Now, to back up to your actual question of where we've seen the progression, it's really started in the diabetic space, right? So Mm -hmm. with companies like WellDoc, we've seen somewhat in parallel um, around addiction. So Click Therapeutics' Mm -hmm. first therapy was to quit smoking, right? And there's another company, again, a very concrete example is Quit Genius, Mm -hmm. right? That's another one. It's a smoking cessation digital therapeutic. And we've now had a slew of companies like Cognito, which is also around Alzheimer's disease, just as an example, but impacts. So neurological, that's sort of the next frontier that we've been seeing. And then what we're starting to see bubbling up is, again, more around mental health and behavioral components. And then as they tack on, you know, there's use cases in oncology to help patients sort of, you know, as they struggle through it. So I think, On one side, the sky is the limit. On the other side, my personal two cents on it is that unless this is a neurological disease, everything else becomes a a cognitive behavioral therapy or a novel service that uses technology inside. So I'm, I'm purposely dif- trying to differentiate it, at least where I see this going.
0: No, I think it's great. I love this idea. Actually, I love the idea there are some standalone digital therapeutics and others are simply companion apps, if you will, to a more traditional pathway. Not that it's bad. It's actually terrific to be no, able to no. have that doesn't it in any way. And then that's also simply another form of telemedicine in some ways when, the, when it comes to disease management. So that sounds fantastic. I've loved where this conversation has gone because we've gone from the definition of digital therapeutics as a way to provide evidence-based medicine through these digital technologies, right? We've talked about the fact that so doing improves access to care to people who may not have, have it. And we talked about how the technology itself works, which is basically an interface between the patient and the system or the caregiving system, although it's, a, it's indirect, it, it creates an algorithmic approach to care management because very frequently that's all you really need. Uh, I love the fact that it collects data for you and then processes that information and gives you back an answer like it does with the diabetes apps. So like There are certain sensors or devices that collect data. That data could be a questionnaire that's provided to you, like how you feeling. What's wait today? That kind of stuff that puts you back in there. The gamification concept and how we've leveraged that is, of course, huge. The fact that we are looking to find ways to get that paid for, reimbursed is critical for adoption of anything in healthcare. It just that's just the way it works. And that, that a lot of work has been done. And the number of payers, governments, as well as private payers, are starting to see value in these technologies. That's been very helpful. And then you've talked at length and shown us tons of examples of where it's been very successful and then broken it down. So we understand that it, it's not one bucket where this fits in. You've got standalone products, you've got combination products, and then uh, some that are really mostly disease management tools, all of which can be very helpful. So. I, I learned a ton just thinking this through with you, Eugene. That was really, really helpful.
1: Well, thank you. And you know the beauty of this, I'm learning as I go on my podcast, and I've learned a ton from some of these trailblazers that I've had on so far. It's not an easy task to bring something new to market. Get it clinically validated, get it reimbursed, get adoption, which is actually where we're at now, right? And I think, you know, appreciate people like yourself that's given some of these trailblazers a, a space, right? In this case, in the podcast, to educate people because at this point, some of the challenges are absolutely the clinical evidence is already here or, and more is coming. I think from regulatory pathways, they are coming. Now it's around the usage. So, you know, people that are on the ground, seeing the patients, you know, how do you actually prescribe it? Do you have enough information as a Mm -hmm. doc, right, to understand what is that impact, right? Because you're bombarded with so much data. How do you support that, right? Because in a molecular space, you use a doctor, prescribe something, a patient goes, picks that up at a pharmacy, you don't get those calls generally, right? Or, you know, the pharmacist is the front door, in this case, in theory, when you prescribe it, you get a you know QR code. and so where do the questions go? So there's a lot to figure out for this industry still, but I think we came a long way in this, you know, let's call it eight to ten years to get some of these early adopters using it, testing it, validating it, et cetera.
0: And for anybody who wants to hear more details because obviously we could go on for hours about these topics. but there's a place to learn about this, and that is the digital health today digital therapeutics edition podcast and where can people find you
1: so the podcast is easy DTXpodcast.com. myself i live mainly on twitter it's health eugene but you can always look me up on uh, linkedin and i love having my serendipity calls that are very random to get to know new people uh, around the world that's exciting
0: and before we go Let's take a step back. You said you joined your wife in her quest to apply some of these technologies to healthcare and this idea of the health coach. Let's give you two minutes to tell us a little bit about that because I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So the, the background on it, my wife went through, while we were living in Amsterdam, she went through breast cancer, you know, all is well. But part of that journey was while the docs did an amazing, amazing job, she realized that part of what she was missing, you know, they forgot parts of her body, for lack of a better term, her mind and her soul, right? And so she was kind of hacking herself back to health. She went on to get a health coaching degree and started practicing. And basically, fast forward, she created a platform for coaches to manage their business completely, end-to-end. The interesting part is, so I joined her officially in January of 2020. We got some interesting tailwinds that the National Board there was a National Board of Health and Wellness Coaches that was set up. They were working closely with Veterans Administration, um, as well as the AMA. And so in October 2019, the American Medical Association approved Category 3, which is not reversible yet, but it's on its way, right? CPT codes for health and wellness coaching, right? I don't want to go into sort of what a health coach does, but in short... It's a science-backed, clinically validated, behavior-driven way of helping you as an individual understand your wellness goals and vision and help you to achieve it. And that's what health and wellness coaches do. That was a huge, huge, I'll say, win for the industry that, in theory, has been around for 20 years or so. That was that sort of October of 2019 marked a, a huge step forward. And finally, on that note, the AMA, so the American Medical Association, defines a coach as a non-physician healthcare professional, as long as they're certified by the national board. So that was huge. And how it relates to all of this and why I thought it was exciting to join is that because ultimately, and Marina, my wife, and the CEO of your coach always says, you know, human eye today Mm -hmm. is still better than AI, right? Because when people need help. You know, that empathy is absolutely important. And health coaches, what they do best is actually helping you understand what your goals are and help you lead through it. Technology is a part of it. And we also saw a huge intersection between health coaching industry and digital therapeutics back to this access component, right. right? There's just not enough doctors and nurses to help every single individual. There's not enough co- health coaches either, to be fair, right? But it's another amazing community and and an amazing workforce of individuals that care and again, scientifically trained, right? And last thing I'll say on it, and this is where a little bit, because you know the definition of health and wellness coaching, and what we say is a health and wellness coach is not a doctor, but a doctor mm. can go get their health and wellness certificate. A health and wellness coach is not a nutritionist, but nutritionists can get a health and wellness certified, right? And the list goes on.
0: This idea of providing a digital platform for wellness coaches and then allowing them to layer in digital therapeutics probably will enable them to manage more patients and make themselves more accessible. So if you can sort of offload some of the work to technology that can manage the patient while they're going through their wellness training without you having to do it all the time, it's got to increase their ability to care for more people and uh, provide a a more personalized experience. I'm super excited about the work you're doing. So thank you for doing that. And thank you again for being on our podcast today, Eugene. That's pretty awesome.
1: It was very much of a pleasure. Thank you so much, Stefano.
0: We hope you enjoyed our podcast exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to hear the latest episodes as soon as they're published. We hope to see you back for the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today.
1: I'm very much looking at our brain is the most unknown parts of our bodies, right? To Mm -hmm, our society and science, science. And I think that holds the biggest potential when it comes to, you know, digital therapeutics. And the second part of that hypothesis for me. And so like companies like Cognito, Cogno for pediatrics, right? Also, you know, from neural perspective, I just saw another one, something brain literally helping with Alzheimer's and dyslexia. Also, I think that holds the most promise. And the second part of that hypothesis under there is as we as a society are living longer right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, there's people living over 100 now, right? Mm -hmm. Starting to grow. Minus, let's take the COVID pandemic to the side, right? For a second. But human brains have never lived this long, right? So we're going to start seeing new neurological diseases pop up that we've never heard of before, right? And so I think only with that data.
0: You know, the other thing that's interesting, I totally agree with you. I'm just riffing a little bit. I've been recently learning about, so I'm very interested in motion and interested in using sensors to detect motion and then identifying, creating objective outcome measures to see how things are going after surgery because we only have right now objective which is fine patient's perception of how well they're doing or a surgeon who frankly is not objective except for looking at x-rays or what have you how do we know how effective and what works what doesn't because we're also getting to the point where differentiating somebody who can play 18 holes like golf and somebody who can not play nine you can't the, the software the system was figured out can you walk 10 blocks or not that was pretty much the extent of it and the upper end of it you can't and we're getting to a point where with our surgical techniques we actually are improving at that higher end but we can't measure it so how do you use sensors to help with that one of the things that's interesting is i was talking to a friend of mine who has been looking at eye movements and it turns out that your eye movements predict whether or not you're going to fall your ability Mm. to track in space and how that happens and can actually and and this is simply a window to the brain that's all i'm getting at yeah is that the brain is an unknown but through the sensing organs so taste eyes, hearing, balance all that stuff. Once we learn how to track those, we are now able to have an insight in how that thing there is working because it has these outward features, outward expressions of its wellness.
1: The only challenge that I see in all of this, it's like on one side, maybe I do want to just walk around in a bubble that continuously measures me everywhere to prevent mm-hmm. it, anything and everything and capture anything and everything. On the other side, you know, again, that same presentation on the, um, uh, the dyslexia. It's like a huge thing that basically like modulates as you read something or watch something mm-hmm. and it's sort of, but it's like, are you really going to wear it? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm struggling with, we all have human beings. We have our routines and jobs to be done and whatever it needs to fit into our lifestyle. And so again, there'll be
0: absolutely cases. Oh, I haven't, where... I haven't thought on that though. The bottom line of all this stuff, if it solves a problem you have, you use it. If it doesn't solve a it will, problem, I agree. I would, and if, it, yeah. if You know, just knowing, yeah, I got this great new watch. It's great. Gives me all this feedback, and I'm actually wearing it longer than I thought I would because some of the information actually is useful to me. Unfortunately, my nicer watch is no longer. <laughs> I gotta wear two watches. Yeah. But no. As long as, if you're sleeping better because of that app, you'll use it. If your schizophrenia is better, there you go. Maybe I should try. Yeah, I should do that too. Yeah. If it actually solved just measuring something, mm, solve mm-hmm. a problem for me, that's where it. Comes
1: Agreed. To play.